All right, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. We have the kids' class in the back. Part two, if you are, um, we're all children of Yah, but if you're like really like little, off you go. <laughs> all right, we are looking today, I believe we're in part three, looking at the primacy of Yahushua, the Lamb. Of course, we're in the Passover. We want to welcome our online audience as well. But today, I have examined, and yesterday, and I've used this term a lot, you most probably be sick of it by the end of the Passover here, the straw man theology. But here's another one that gets propped up, and how can you talk about the primacy of the Lamb without addressing this particular, particular, most important topic, which of course is the virgin birth. The virgin birth. Now, of course, does Judaism believe in the virgin birth? Of course not. So, if you're in messianic Judaism or the Hebrew roots movement and being enticed by the synagogue of Satan, this is going to be on the chopping block, is it not? So if you're going to get this on the chopping block, the best thing to do is create a straw man and then blow it down. Now, the straw man is this. I'm going to prop up the Jewish straw man for you. Well, it's not virgin. Isaiah isn't talking about a virgin. The Hebrew word actually means servant. You see, because there's a whole different word for virgin. The word that actually is meant and used for virgin in the Torah is the Hebrew word betulat. Betulat. But the word that the prophet Isaiah uses is a different Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is alamah. You see, you just don't understand your Torah and your Hebrew, and now we've set you up for the straw man. Very easy to blow over. And people are like, oh my goodness, why didn't I know this? So we're going to examine a few things here. Firstly, the straw man is the, the synagogue of Satan. Those that are exiting the faith through apostasy will say, oh, Isaiah isn't talking about a virgin. It's not a virgin. It's a servant. Because the word used in Isaiah is actually the Hebrew word alamah. And that means servant. It doesn't mean virgin. Because if you look throughout the Old Testament, the word for virgin is a different Hebrew word. And it's betulat. And Isaiah didn't use that. So the virgin birth is a hoax. And people are like, oh my goodness, I've got to listen to the synagogue of the Satan. They've been doing this for thousands of years. They know the synagogue of the Satan. <laughs> well, why don't we go to the Torah instead of the synagogue of the Satan? Shemot, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. So we're going to look at two Hebrew words and a Greek word because... I am not going to go to the Masoretic text, which was scribed by the synagogue of Satan, 
the Masoretes, but we're actually, if we're going to look at some source text, let's go to the Septuagint, the LXX, which was translated by 70 in excess of the best rabbis that the Gentiles picked, believers in Yahushua picked. Who picked these 70 rabbis to translate the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, into Greek? Who chose them? The very rabbinical Jews, they picked them. They picked these Jews to translate, and it was their cream of the crop. So they should have no problem with us using the Septuagint because apparently it was translated by the best translators ever. But we'll start off in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, where it is written, And there went a man out of the house of Levi, and he took as a wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of wicker. Now, I'm going to give the game away a little bit here, because we're talking about the virgin birth. And we're starting off right here in Exodus chapter 2. And you're like, why on earth are you starting off in Exodus chapter 2? Because ultimately, where is the seed going to come out of? I'm giving the game away here. It's going to come out of a river, a birth canal. So here's a little hint. Why are we talking about an ark? Because the ark is what houses the seed, the carrier that then floats down a river or a birth canal bringing forth redemption. Okay, so ultimately we're going to see an ark flowing down Miriam's river or birth canal that is going to bring forth redemption. Got it? Okay, so there we go. I spoilt, spoilt it for you, but you know, I'm just excited. So here we go. And the woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw that he was a beautiful child, and she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of wicker and coated it with slime and with pitch and put the child inside. There's the carrier of the seed. And she laid him in the reed by the canal or river's bank. And his sister stood afar off. So now the seed is placed in the carrier and it's going to go down the birth canal and it's going to bring forth the redemption of Israel. There's the clue, okay? We're talking about source text for building up the truth of the virgin birth so that when they prop up the straw man, we can easily go, well, that's a straw man. It's easy to blow down. How about now we set something on the bedrock of the sapphire stone, right? So continuing on, and... His sister stood afar off to know what would happen to him. Verse 5, And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her female servant walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, and the text goes on, we know so well. So the, uh, the ark right here first began, of course, in the biblical narrative. The ark began with Noah, and it develops now as biblical events unfold. 
bulrushes here with Moses. Then the ark develops further in the narrative of the Bible with what? Thank you. We have the Ark of the Covenant. We have the Tabernacle. The Ark is always about the preservation of the redemptive people. That's the purpose of the Ark. Whether it's with Noah, whether it's with Moses, whether it's with the Tabernacle, the Ark is what preserves the people of Yah. The purpose of the Ark is the preservation of you. That's the whole purpose of the ark, the preservation of Israel. What happened to Jonah? Where did he go? He went into an ark. He was preserved, and in fact, he, he then came out, and with that message, even those that weren't Israel that repented were able to be redeemed, preserved, because that's the purpose of the ark, a womb of life. That was a womb of life. The whale was a womb of life that carried Jonah, bringing new beginnings to the people of Nineveh, redemption, if you will. And here we find in the narrative of Exodus chapter 2, a seed carrier floating down the canal, bringing freedom to a nation. And she sent her servant to get it. We have women thwarting the plan of Pharaoh. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and see, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go, and the servant... The Hebrew word here is alama. Alama. It's the same word that Isaiah uses. So you can see now how they're going to try and twist the scriptures, the synagogue of Satan, to build you a straw man. And the servant, alama, went and called the child's mother. So Judaism, as we know, and the synagogue of Satan deny the virgin birth. Yet, yet, there is no instance where it can be proved that this word designates a young woman who is not a virgin. There is no instance in the whole of the Bible where this Hebrew word, alama, can be proved that it is a young woman who is not a virgin. Does this text here prove that this woman that came and got the, the ark is not a virgin, even though it says servant? No, right? That's what I mean. So servant or virgin or alama, alama is used in Isaiah 7.14. Now, seven times in the Old Testament, this word was used. Alama. Now, before Yahusha came along, this word was used seven times, listen, in the Old Testament to talk about a virgin. And was it ever disputed before Yahusha came along? Did the Jews ever have a problem? Never. Never before Yahusha came along on the scene did they ever dispute it. We have no record of them disputing this before Yahusha in the first century. 
Remember, the Septuagint, like I said, is a Jewish translation. It is written in the pre-Christian Alexandria tradition. It represents, in reality, an unbiased Jewish interpretation of Isaiah 7.14 that is much earlier than the New Testament's use of it. Because Matthew, in the book of Matthew, does refer back to this Hebrew word alamah. He, of course, uses the Septuagint translation of the Hebrew word alamah, got translated into the Greek word parthenos. Parthenos. But basically, in the book of Matthew, when Matthew talks about the virgin, he's using the same Hebrew word that Isaiah the prophet used through the Septuagint translation, alamah, into the Septuagint, parthenos, which was translated into the Greek New Testament. Tracking with me so far? So there's no problem. So the synagogue of Satan will go to Matthew, the book of Matthew, the Gospels, and say, well, that's not right. But hang on a minute. Your 70 in excess rabbis that you have no problem with, they translated it into the Greek word parthenos too. And you never had an issue whatsoever before Yahushua came on the scene. No problems whatsoever. It was authorized 70 in excess of your best rabbis. You see the hypocrisy that they're trying to sneak in here. So parthenos always means virgin. Always. And the Jews know this. It represents an unbiased Jewish interpretation of Isaiah 7.14 that is much earlier than Matthew's use of the same word, parthenos, when referring back to Isaiah 7.14. You can find that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that Greek word, parthenos, from the Hebrew word, alamah. So the context then makes it extremely clear to all of us that virgin is pregnant, yes, but still a virgin. That's what the context means. Makes it clear that virgin is pregnant, but still a virgin. So Judaism's modern 2,000-year position is that alamah means servant. And that actually Betulam means virgin. Well, let's examine that straw man, because this is very modern. They had no problems back in the past before Yahushua came on the scene, and now they've switched the narrative. And everybody's looking at the switch narrative, which is the straw man, and not looking at the history that Judaism had no problem with this back in the days of the Septuagint. See, they're totally disingenuous, lying. It's the synagogue of Satan. You see, so let's think about this. Let's use the synagogue of Satan's narrative. Betula means virgin. You guys that believe Yahushua was born of a virgin aren't understanding the Hebrew. Betula means virgin and Alamah means servant. That's a lie, but that's their straw man. Well, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 14, and see if this line of reasoning holds up in the Scripture. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 14, and it says thus, 
and makes abusive charges against her and brings up an evil name upon her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found her not a virgin. Not a virgin, and the word here is betulat. So what does betulat mean in this context? Not a virgin, meaning somebody who has had intercourse. There are references in the Torah where betulat is used to speak of a woman who has already had intercourse. Already had intercourse on her wedding night, Betulat Israel, a virgin of Israel. You'll find that in Deuteronomy 22, verse 19. And another woman who is a married, childbearing woman and becomes a widow is also called a Betulah. And you'll find that in the first chapter of the prophet Joel. So what they're saying doesn't hold water. So my question is, shall we go with the Masoretic text or shall we go with the Septuagint? Septuagint. Why? How many messiahs has the Septuagint been used to proclaim? One. And what is his name? Yahusha Hamashiach. How many messiahs has the Masoretic text been used to proclaim? 68. 68. 68 false messiahs, the Masoretic text has been used as the source documents of. See, and those exiting the Messianic and Hebrew roots movement, being enticed by the Torah, 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 Levitical hierarchy and the synagogue of Satan, they are mainly using Masoretic text-based or that type of theology. Even Rashi, who is Judaism's darling when it comes to the rabbis and the sages, believed that the Creator would come to earth through an untouched woman. And they don't tell you that. Let me quote Rashi on Isaiah 7:14. Quote, Behold, the Alamah shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This means our Creator will be with us, and this is the sign. The one who shall conceive is a girl who never in her life has had intercourse with any man. This is Judaism's darling sage Rashi. His commentary on Isaiah 7.14, which is buried by the synagogue of Satan. So there's many things that can cause and muddy the water, whether it's people coming out of Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, the kingdom of the cults, or being enticed by the synagogue of Satan. 
So we have to examine the straw men, not to be deceived by them, and then we stand on the truth, which is always going to have a sapphire stone foundation. It's going to be a Malkitzedic reality. So, you know, the immaculate conception, I like to do this. Who here, hands raised nice and high, believes in the immaculate conception? Okay, so we have uh, several people here who believe in the Immaculate Conception. Well, let me tell you what the Immaculate Conception is, and then you can reconsider and maybe not raise your hands. Again, I'm really glad you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> Notice the gentleman from Alaska, 30 years in the Catholic Church, did not raise his hand in the belief of the Immaculate Conception. Here we go. Mary was born without sin. Her mother was Saint Anne. Mary's flesh was without sin. Therefore, Christ is fully human from Mary who remained an eternal virgin. That is the Immaculate Conception. So let's try it again. Who here <laughs> believes in the Immaculate... See, the Immaculate Conception and the virgin birth are often confused and interchanged in Christianity because nobody spends the time. And you go, oh yes, of course, because no one wants to be caught denying the verdict. Oh yes, I believe, because you think it. No, it's not the same thing whatsoever. But here's the medical fact. I think it was posted on Facebook or somebody sent me some message somewhere. They're talking to me about, well, what are you saying then about Mary? What is she? Well, here's the medical fact. The blood of the baby in the womb doesn't come from the mother. Therefore, Yahusha's blood is not from Mary, is it? Joseph was not his paternal father. So Yahusha did not come from the dust either by his mother or by his father. Flesh and blood do not inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah. So we with the Messiah who's always been clothed in Yahuwah's bone and flesh from heaven, which is what we were talking about this morning in Exodus 24, verse 11. So the Son of Man, when we use the term Son of Man, we go back to the first reference of the Son of Man. And of course, it is Daniel is the first reference of the Son of Man, and it means deity. So we always go back to the Torah of first mention. The Son of Man means deity because Daniel's the first one that referenced it, and it's obvious that he is talking about deity right there. So the Son of Man was placed in Mary's womb, who was the surrogate mother. He had the features of humanity, yet not to beat a dead horse, not of humanity's origins dust. So we've got no dual nature, we've got no tri-nature, we've got no God-man theologies. Now the Jews know this from Torah, and then they prop up the straw man because they know this, but they're not really being authentic in the truth and dissemination of the Scriptures. They know how to deceive. They know how to deceive because they do know that the Torah teaches against child sacrifice. They know the difference between servant and virgin, but they don't know what text they're using. You see, so they're preying on believers not knowing the distinction in terms. 
Now, even as we develop in religion, you can see how religion starts to leaven the lump as religion goes further and further along. Remember I started off talking about in the first century how there were these five different belief systems, six really, if you count sect A and B of the Docetics. But also, as we look at the creeds of the early church, you'll notice how it starts out pure, and then leaven gets introduced when it comes to the composition of our Messiah. The Apostles' Creed, developed in about a hundred of the common era, there's no God-man theology in it whatsoever. There is no dual nature. There's no leaven in the lump. But then, if we just go forward just a couple of hundred years to the Nicene Creed in 325 of the Common Era, we get something that got snuck in. It wasn't there in the Apostles' Creed, but it got snuck right in in the Nicene Creed in 325. What got snuck in? Made man. So they enter into this phrase that Yahushua was made man. That's not in the Apostles' Creed, but it's introduced into the Nicene Creed, made man. But then we have another creed that came on a couple of hundred years later, the Anthonesian Creed in 500 of the Common Era, and now we have a dual nature leaven had fully leavened the whole lump. It gets even worse. It goes from now made man to made in the substance of his mother. So you see even more leaven is introduced into the lump as the years progress in religion. Because now we've got the Catholic Church has got a lot of power, and now they are literally going forth across the nations, and anybody that is standing up against the doctrine is slaughtered. Okay, this is now in the time of Queen Mary, okay? So we've got, uh, no, it's not. I'm, I'm in 500 of the Common Era. I'm like a 1,000 years early. But anyway, it was bad times whatsoever. But look, look what we've got in John chapter 10, verse 30, because even the Jews could not comprehend Yahushua's flesh because they said, uh, he said, I and my father are one. And the Jews couldn't understand that. So what did they do? They took up stones to stone him. Not comprehend the, the nature of Messiah. Because it's so easy for us to be hoodwinked into these various doctrines, whether it's the Trinity. And the Trinity, being hoodwinked into the Trinity, is another contributing factor to why so many are weak in the faith and dying. What does that mean? That, oh, if you believe in the Trinity, you're going to be weak and you're going to die? No, it means that you can easily be prey for the synagogue of Satan and those in the last days that would try to steal your faith because your faith is actually on the foundation of religion rather on the foundation of the sapphire stone. So people can prop up straw men and you can easily fall for the straw man and you could have your faith robbed from you. So by us exposing the traditions of men and going back to the biblical truth, we're going to find that we are going to be able to discern the master's body. Because discerning the master's body is all what Passover is about. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Marinate that for a little bit. 
It's kind of a lot to think about, isn't it? Selah, thank you. So what do we have going on with Yahuwah and Yahusha then, Matthew, if you're saying that, that Yahusha is 100% Yahuwah, 0% man, cloaked in humanity, but not from humanity's origins, the dust? H how, do, how do you break this down so it's really comprehensible and understandable? Because I, I, I really need you to help me on this. Well, look at John chapter 14, verse 28. Yahusha declares that in the Greek, he says this, Pater Maison Mu. Maison in the Greek means greater. Pater, the father, is greater Maison Mu than me. So now we're going to look at the reality of the duality of powers. Because one is concealed in the heavenly realm, and then one is revealed in the earthly realm. So you have a duality of powers. We're talking about the deity. One is concealed in the heavenly realm, yet one is revealed in the earthly realm. Now, this is very important. A duality of powers, not persons. There's no two persons or three. It's a duality of powers, not persons. Because the two powers, one concealed, Yahuwah Elohim, and one revealed, Yahusha, is what? Two powers abiding eternally as Echad. One, a compound unity. So there's two powers abiding eternally before the foundations of the world, before there was dust, Yahusha was here the creator, the bara, two powers abide eternally as one. So it's a, um, a, a duality of powers, not persons. Two powers in heaven. So you have the greater and lesser power. Oh, now some people can get insulted by that. Well, what are you saying? Yahushua's lesser. Well, Yahushua said it himself. My father is greater. Because you've got a duality of powers. The hidden, the concealed, is greater than the revealed. The greater and lesser powers. Now this counters the unscriptural Trinitarian doctrine of the three equal persons. Okay? So this is the truth to the unscriptural three equal persons. Because... You won't find that in the Bible. Because the Trinitarian doctrine really talks about three equal persons in heaven all existing as personages, all being Yahuwah. And I'm already starting to scratch my head. The persons and personages. But in John chapter 10, verse 29, Yahushua calls the Father the greater power. In the universe, he clarifies that by stating that the Father is greater than all. That all would then relegate Yahushua as being, what? Less great. Yeah? Less great. In position and all other attributes, since all attributes that he possess are said to come and originate from 
the Father. Everything that he has originates and comes from the Father. So Scripture does not teach a plurality of equal elders. Okay, now we're getting into some crazy Mormon stuff. But you see how these cults, all the kingdom of the cults, it's because they're not understanding what we're teaching today. But the Father above all, in all, and through all, including His Son. The Father is greater, therefore the Son is lesser. So Yahusha, then, for clarity's sake, is fully and equally Yahuwah in his composition. In that he and his Father are one. He and his Father, he has all that his Father has by first receiving all things, though, from his Father. This bestowing upon Yahushua of all things from the Father establishes him forever as Yahuwah the Lesser. So you have the duality of powers, one revealed, Yahuwah the Lesser, and one concealed, Yahuwah the Greater. Does that make sense? It's a duality of powers, not persons. One concealed, the greater. One revealed, the lesser. And everything the lesser has is from the greater. A duality of powers, not persons. Yahuwah, the greater, the eternal elder. Yahuwah, the lesser, the revealed younger son, if you will. So Yahuwah is a plurality of divinity. Then Yahusha as the brought forth, outstretched arm of Yahuwah, or the lesser Yahuwah, is always under the authority of the greater. And did he sell, tell us that? I do not come to do my will, but to do the will of my Father in heaven. I am in submission to the greater power. I am the lesser power. We are both divinity, Echad, one, but it is a plurality of power, not persons. This is plural monotheism, which is shouldn't be so astounding, but it is because it's been hidden, but it is revealed. Now, throughout the Old Testament, it's Yahweh the Greater. And now you're gonna, I'm going to show you some scriptures. You'll be like, oh my goodness, it's everywhere. I've seen it everywhere. It's, it's, I've always seen it. But you didn't have the comprehension because we weren't taught this. But it's everywhere. You just needed the framework now to be able to see it. Throughout the Old Testament, it's always Yahweh the Greater sending Yahweh the Lesser. Always. You'll see Yahweh the Greater sending Yahweh the Lesser. Yahweh the Lesser, of course, is Yahusha, is known as many things in the Bible, from the Malak, the messenger of Yahweh, or the captain of Yahweh's hosts, to Yahweh's face to Yahweh's right arm, to the young man, Metatron, to the word or memra of Yahweh is the lesser which is revealed to mankind. Now, in the New Testament, 
manifest as the son, Yahushua. The father was just reiterating what had happened in the Old Testament before when he brought forth his son in the New Testament, as well as confirming the ancient understanding of the greater Yahuwah always sending forth the lesser Yahuwah, with the sent one being the one who carries always the divine name. Always carries the divine name. So Yahusha is divine as Yahuwah, and he emanates from the Father Yahuwah, yet he is not being the Father, but one of the two ruling powers in heaven that are Echad. One. So really what you have is one in the upper dimension concealed and one in the lower dimension revealed. And you're going to see it throughout the Old Testament. This again is plural biblical monotheism. Not singular monotheism, not polytheism. And this is where most people get confused and fall away in their faith because they have turned their understanding away and their ears can no longer hear the truth because they've been so full of the doctrines and traditions of men. So let's walk through the Bible a little bit and give you some verses. Now remember, there seems to be this contradiction in the Bible. It seems to be a contradiction. But now that you understand that there is a duality of powers, one in heaven concealed. The cons no one shall see my face and live. Yeah, then there's verses where you see the face of Yahweh and you're totally fine. No one shall see my face and live. Exodus 33 verse 20. The only place you can see Yahweh's face is if you hide in the cleft of the rock. What's the cleft of the rock? It's the broken part the broken part, and then I will show you my back. That's where the scarring, that's where the beating takes place. So the only way you can see the divinity, Yahweh Echad, is through the revealed part, aspect, which is the broken part. Nobody can see my face and live, Exodus 33, verse 20. John chapter 1, verse 18. John chapter 5, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 46. No one can see the face of the Father. But hang on a minute. Genesis 32, verse 30. Oh, there's Yahweh's face. No problem. Exodus 33, verse 11. Oh, there's Yahweh's face. No problem. Numbers 14, verse 14. Oh, there's Yahweh's face again. Face to face, panayim el, panayim. No problem. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 44. Oh, there's Yahweh's. What is going on? You have a distinction between the powers. You cannot see the concealed Yahweh, the greatest face, and live. But he will reveal himself. Through the lesser Yahweh, you can see his face and live. The Malak of Yahweh, the captain of Yahweh's host. There is no contradiction in the Bible. No contradiction whatsoever. This is the difference between one concealed and one revealed. One concealed and one revealed. 
Two Yahuwahs, one in the upper dimension concealed and one in the lower dimension revealed. So when you see those terms, no one shall see my face and live. It's talking no one shall see the concealed Yahuwah in the upper dimensions and live. Oh, you can see and speak to me face to face as a man speaks to a man. Panaim el Panaim. You can speak to Yahuwah in the revealed lower dimension and live because that's his arm of redemption reaching out to mankind. This is amazing. Two powers, one concealed, one revealed, and it is not a new idea I'm coming up with today at Passover. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. This has been around for thousands of years, but nobody wants to talk about it because the Catholic Church buried it. The synagogue of Satan certainly buried it. So who else is going to teach it? The Mormons, they want you to go off to planet Nibiru, and populate that, or I don't really quite know what they want to do, but it's crazy. The Jehovah Witnesses, they're dead starting out the gate because they just say that Yahushua is a mere man with their misinterpretation and their new translation of the kingdom of the cults on the chapters of John. So Jewish theologians, theologians and writers speculated on the identity for the second Yahuwah many, many, many thousands of years ago. And it was only in the latter part of the second century that this started to get squashed as the faith in Yahushua became more and more prevalent. They didn't want you to be able to go back to these ancient source texts and arguments of understanding because it would validate and verify the truth of Messiah. And they could not afford to do that, so they squashed this stuff. I am not teaching you something new. I'm not making this up. I am just getting rid of all the rubbish out there and saying, look, this, this, they're, they're, they're trying to hoodwink you. It, it's ridiculous. Two persons, one concealed, one revealed. It is an idea that was not deemed heretical in Jewish theology until the mid-second century during the Second Temple period. Jewish Jewish theologians and writers speculated on an identity for the second Yahuwah. And they had guesses. They were guesses ranged from div uh, um, divine human beings, from all of the accounts to exalted angels. And none of these speculations were like heretical or unorthodox because they were reading the same passages that we're about to read. But that acceptance of this orthodoxy changed as Yahushua became more and more popular in the second century. The early Nazarenes connected Yahushua with this orthodox Jewish idea of the two powers in heaven. This explains why these Jews, the first converts that were following Yahushua as Messiah, how then could they in their mindset, in their theology, they had no problems simultaneously worshipping the Elohim of Israel and worshipping Yahushua, did they? They had no problems. Yet they refused to acknowledge any other gods. But they had no problems worshipping the Elohim of Israel and worshipping Yahushua at the same time. But they weren't polytheists because they understood the two powers in heaven 
was an ancient, ancient thought from thousands of years ago. Yahusha was the incarnate second Yahweh, and Judaism pronounced the two powers teaching a heresy only in the second century. Before then, it was totally acceptable. They had midrashes all about it. It was totally acceptable. A second entity in heaven equal to Elohim. And Yahushua called them out on this very thought in John chapter 10, verse 34. The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we stoned thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou, being a man, makest thyself Elohim. And Yahushua now calls them out because he's like, well, hang on a minute. What about the two powers that you're always debating about, that you're always talking about? Is it not written in your Torah, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of Elohim came, cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest. Because I said, I am the son of Elohim. Well, now you've got a problem with it. But your history doesn't have a problem with it. Abraham knew the truth. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. And Yahuwah appeared to Abraham on the plains of Mamre. And Abraham sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked. And see, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran out to meet them at the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. The Hebrew word there is shachar. It means to bow down, to worship, to do reverence. So you've got the double portion of Yahuwah. The two Yahuwahs, one hidden and one now revealed in the Son. Kiss the Son if you know his name is what it says in the Bible, Ephesians 3, 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning, from Genesis, of the world hath been hid in Yahuwah. What's that mean? Concealed in the upper dimension. Who created all things by the one that's about to be revealed in the lower dimension. Genesis 19:24 Then Yahweh rained down Sodom and Gomorrah rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from Yahweh. Hang on a minute. What happened? Yahweh rained down fire and brimstone from Yahweh. It's a duality of powers. Yahweh rained fire from Yahweh. One executing wrath on the inhabitants of Sodom on Gomorrah. How about Isaiah 13 verse 17? See, I will stir up the Medes against thee, who shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bows shall dash the young men to pieces. And they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. And their eyes shall not spare children. And Babylon, the glory of all kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans, 
Pride shall become as when Elohim overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So we have the two Yahuwahs, one in the upper dimension and one in the lower, a plurality of beings in unity for purpose and for action. Look at Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. Yahuwah said to Satan, Yahuwah rebuke you, Satan. Did you catch it? <laughs> Yahuwah said to Satan, Yahuwah rebuke you, Satan. Yes, Yahuwah who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this a burning stick plucked out of the fire? Yahuwah said to Satan, Yahuwah rebuke you. Then we have right here the upper dimensional Yahuwah addresses the election of Jerusalem by the lower dimensional Yahuwah. Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. Yahuwah is a man of war. Yahuwah is his name. Is the man of war concealed or revealed? Lower dimensional revealing, right? Okay, so now we're starting to see. So according to the sages, even the rabbinic sages, prior to the second century of the common era, Yahuwah could appear in two forms, either as a man of war or in a non-human form as his name. But the Jews, they all believed this. Before the second century, this was public knowledge, that Yahuwah was totally acceptable from the biblical narrative to appear in two forms. He could appear as the man of war, and he could also appear in the non-human form as the Memra or the name of Yahuwah. But what do we do, though, with this text? This one, I love this text. Turn with me to Yehoshua, Joshua chapter 5. Because what do we do? You've got to pay attention to this one. When we get the man of war, Yahuwah, and the name of Yahuwah in the same scene interacting with each other. What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? When we get the man of war of Yahuwah and the name of Yahuwah in the same scene and then they start interacting with one another. My suggestion to you is that you have Yahuwah as warrior is distinct from Yahuwah as the concealed name. Look at the 13th verse in the book of Joshua, chapter 5. Now it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked and see, there stood a man opposite him with a sword drawn, that's a giveaway, a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? Joshua chapter 5, verse 14. And he said, No, but as captain of the armies of Yahuwah, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. And what did he do? He worshipped him. Was he a polytheist? No. No, he wasn't. We have no problem. The sages take no issue with this. No issue with this whatsoever. 
They're just hoping that nobody's going to actually bring it out and teach it to you. And he said, because people, you know, you'll have the synagogue of Satan saying, oh, yes, you worship Jesus. Or you worship, you know, in understanding that we've come, you worship Yahusha. That is unbiblical. Um, no, it's from the very pages of the Tanakh. It's always been that way. This isn't some weird pagan doctrine of the worshipping of Yahusha. Should you worship Yahusha? For sure and for certain. Did the disciples worship Yahusha? Did lepers that were healed, did they worship Yahusha? For sure and for certain. Yet, in the book of Revelation, when there's misplaced worship, is it called out and rebuked? Yes. Yes. Immediately. No one is ever called out and rebuked for worshipping Yahushua in the New Testament because it's a plurality of powers, just like we see in the text here in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14. And he said, no, but as captain of the armies of Yahuwah, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said to him, what says my master to his servant? And the captain of Yahuwah's camp said to Joshua, loose your sandals from off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. And Joshua did so. So we see worship here, just like we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, where a leper worships Yahushua. Just like we see in Matthew 14, verse 33, where a rich ruler worships Yahushua. Just like we see um, variously throughout the text, where in particular one that I like is the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews... The writer of the book of Hebrews attributes Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6 and it is actually coming to us from Psalm 97. The writer of the book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 97 where in Psalm 97 the object of worship by angels is the concealed Yahweh that the writer of the book of Hebrews is now attributing that to the revealed Yahuwah that is worthy of worship, the blessed Son. This is fabulous. Hebrews 1.6, Psalm 97. So you see the revealed Yahuwah, Yahusha, being worshipped. Like I said, in contrast, Cornelius and John the Revelator, they're, in, they're rebuked when they perform improper worship. Now, we see the two drawn swords in the hand and the removing of the sandals. Of course, the man speaks as one, just like the one at the burning bush, Yahuwah and the angel. Of course, we see drawn swords three times in Scripture. We've got Numbers 22, verse 23, and um, 1 Chronicles 21, verse 16. It's the angel of Yahuwah. Look at Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Behold, I will send an angel, a malach, before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. Give heed to him and hearken to his voice. Do not rebel against him, 
for he will not pardon your transgression for my name. Is that revealed or concealed? Revealed is in him. So I'm sending an angel before you. My name, my glory is in the Malak, the angel. And the Malak, the angel, has the ability to pardon sins. This is all from the Torah. The angel has the power to forgive sins. Why? Because the name of Yahuwah was in him. That's why it's so important that we're now proclaiming the name of the Son that has the name of the Father in him. Yahusha. Yahuwah's name is in the Son. Deuteronomy 4 verse 35. It is written... To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh, he is Elohim, and there is none else beside him. Out of the heavens he made you to hear his voice, that he might instruct you. And upon earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them, and brought you out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt to drive out nations from before you greater and far mightier than you are to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. But there's none else besides him. His words came from the fire of the burning bush. He brought us out of Egypt and brought us into the land. But that's not what the book of Judges says. Look at Judges chapter 2. Selah. Yes, I should slow down. But I had a big whopping cup of that organic <laughs> double-leaded coffee <laughs> and I'm very well rested and I was kind of bored to tell you the truth for the past two hours I'm like okay but this year now we're gonna do Deuteronomy 435 and then we're gonna go to judge two judge two we're gonna go to judge 611 and then we're gonna go to revelation 22 13 all right she crying out loud that's that's what happens sometimes. <laughs> Golden calf. Moo. <laughs> it's the golden calf. Moo. And the angel of Yahweh came up from Gilgal to Bochin and said, I, and, uh, No, relax. And the angel of Yahweh came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you to the land that I swore to your fathers. So look what we're seeing here. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I said also, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be a thorn in your side, and their Elohim shall be an entrapment unto you. 
And it came to pass, when the angel of Yahweh spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. So right here in this text, we've got the angel, the Malak, and Yahweh are actually interchanged. So a Malak who is, and yet isn't, Yahweh. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And there came the Malak, the angel of Yahuwah, who sat under an oak that was in Ophrah that belonged to Yoash the Avi Ezrite. So we here see the angel of Yahuwah is where? Underneath the oak tree. The angel of Yahuwah is underneath the oak tree. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of Yahuwah appeared to him and said to him, Yahuwah is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my master, if Yahuwah is with us, why then is all this happening to us? And where are all his signs which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not Yahuwah bring us up out of Egypt? But now Yahuwah has forsaken us, and he has delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Verse 14. And Yahuwah looked upon him. Well, hang on a minute. I, I, I thought this was the angel of Yahuwah that was sitting under the tree. But now this is Yahuwah. You see the interchange going on here? There's an interchange. One minute we've got the angel of Yahuwah sitting under the oak tree, very clear. And now we have Yahuwah involved himself in the conversation. And he said, and Yahuwah looked at him and said, Go in this your might and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? Verse 15. And he said to him, well, who? Who said to him? The angel underneath the oak tree or Yahweh himself? Well, how do we know? It's interchangeable right here. One concealed, one revealed. It's a duality of powers, not persons, manifest right here in Judges chapter 6. And in Joshua 6 too. Thank you. Oh, my master, with what shall I save Israel? See, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am least in my father's house. And Yahweh said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you, that it is you who is talking with me. So even himself, he's like, Hang on a minute, am I talking to the angel of Yahweh, or am I talking to Yahweh himself? Can you show me a sign to what's actually happening here? Because this is intense. Right? Very intense indeed. Can you show me a sign that it is you who is talking with me? Verse 18, depart not from here. I ask you until I come to you to bring forth my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a young goat and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour, 
and meat, and he put it in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out to him under the oak and presented it. So now we're back to under the oak. We've got the angel is under the oak tree, and we've got Gideon bringing a sacrifice to the angel of Yahweh. Now verse 20, And the angel of Yahweh said to him, Take the flesh of the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the Malach, the angel of Yahuwah, put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up a fire out of the rock, and it consumed the meat and consumed the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of Yahuwah departed out of, out of his sight. So now the angel of Yahuwah, who was revealed, becomes concealed and when Gideon perceived that he was the angel of Yahweh what did Gideon do Gideon said oi vey it's Yahweh Elohim <laughs> I have seen the angel of Yahweh Panaim El Panaim face to face the revealed Yahuwah face to face. And then the revealed Yahuwah withdrew and became the concealed Yahuwah. A plurality of powers in the heavens. One concealed and one revealed. And Yahuwah, now Yahuwah is speaking to him again. Shalom be to you, fear not, you shall not die. So Yahweh was still there. Even though the angel had withdrawn. Did you catch that? But Yahweh's still there. Because you have a duality of powers, not persons. This is not some Jesus freak New Testament doctrine that you can prop up a straw man and rob people of their faith. Because the synagogue of Satan is going to try and lure you with all this fantastic Torah and Hebrew roots and all this nonsense when the reality of it is is Yahushua is revealed from the Torah through the prophets and into the full manifestation of the outstretched arm of Yahweh in the New Testament. It is not some pagan doctrine. It is not something that you have to like, oh my goodness, the Jews, they don't believe Yahushua is the Messiah. Because, uh, nonsense. They're the synagogue of Satan. They know this stuff, but they don't want you to know it because they want you to be weak and beggarly in the faith. But instead, we stand upon the sapphire stone. The disciples and the apostle Paul, one of the most scholarly men that we've ever, ever had the honor of reading his writings, had no problem with the worship and deification of Yahushua because it's a duality of powers. It is a biblical doctrine from the beginning. From the beginning, it has just been corrupted into Trinitarianism, polytheism, and singular monotheism. But now we frame it back 
to the Bible and everybody can stand. And if you can still stand, then stand. So the angel refers to Yahuwah as a different person, but Yahuwah is still there in the text too. Isn't that amazing? Both the angel of Yahuwah and Yahuwah appear in the very same text, yet both are identified as Yahuwah in other passages. This means, in clear summation, there are two Yahuwahs in the plurality of the Echad deity. One concealed and one revealed. This is a sure strength to the cults, the synagogue of Satan, and all of those that would try and beguile and steal the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Because this is rock bed. Rock bed. Because I know that some of you out there, even out there online, have had questions about Yahushua, his composition. Because in our truth for wanting to seek righteousness, we understand that the lump got leavened. But the virgin birth is unleavened. The duality of powers is unleavened. The worship of Yahusha is unleavened. It is perfect. It is biblical from the very foundations of our faith. It is not some Greco-Roman religion. It is Torah from the very foundations. But what people are peddling with the synagogue of Satan is a Talmudic counterfeit, the Masoretic text, and it's 68 messiahs, or the Septuagint and Yahusha, the one revealed plurality of powers, the greater and lesser Yahuwah. One concealed in the heavens, if you see his face, you shall die. One revealed to man, that if you see his face, you have fellowship and redemption. Amen. Amen. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Thank you, thank you. Don.